0: Brilliant: Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul, but I'm also somewhat affectionately known as P.J. It's great to be with you here this morning, and uh, as been referenced, we've g- going into the second week looking at our vision. Um, But over the past couple of weeks, I've been reading a report uh, all on the subject of gratitude. And it's got me thinking about whether or not I'm a grateful kind of person. And uh, the findings of this study were really quite quite interesting because it was a secular report compiling 40 different studies all together. And it looked at how grateful you are impacts pretty much every single area of your life. It affects your emotional well-being through to your physical health and sleep and can even impact your career prospects depending on how grateful you are. One study of 243 people over a period of time concluded that just five minutes a day writing down the things that you're grateful for can have the same impact on your life as doubling your current salary. So the quality of your life and well-being increased by the same amount as if you were suddenly paid twice as much. I shared this with one of the members of my team. I said, look, you know, double, effective double your, doubling your salary. And she said to me, I'd rather have the money, to be honest, which wasn't really the point of the whole thing. But I, I want to ask you this morning, how grateful would you say you are? Are you a grateful kind of person? Are you that kind of person by nature? Um, are you grateful for all that you've got and the people that you know? If you had to grade yourself, you know, 0 to 10 on a gratefulness scale, where would you feature? Or if it was a sort of sliding scale with gratefulness at one end and grumpiness at the other, where would you be on a scale like that? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, look, I'm 8 out of 10 or I'm 4 out of 10 on my best day. You know, where, where would you say you're at? Turn to the person next to you. So where, where would you say you're at? I'm not, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. I feel that would be unfair at this stage. Um, but I, I want to ask you to think, am I a grateful person or not? Or perhaps even more importantly, am I sat next to a grateful or a grumpy person? You know, that's worth considering, really. It's worth knowing that we also offer marriage support. I'm just putting that out there. Um, but for those of you who are regulars here, you'll know that this is week two, looking at our vision, where we get to look forward into all that God's got for us into 2018. But I want to say to us, the starting place has to be a place of gratitude for all that he's done for us in the previous year. Because so often, it's our gratitude over what God has done that fuels us and gives us faith for what he can do in the future. You know, often the the victories that he has won for us in the past are there in order to spur us on for what he's got for us for the future. Realizing what he has done builds our faith for what he can do in the future. And if you recall, um, we felt very prompted by an email that was sent in referring us back to Psalm 65, and uh, we felt God really feeding us from that. And it's a relevant psalm for the season that we're in as a church. And Simon referenced it on the the video a moment ago. But I want to just read a few verses for us here this morning. I'm going to have it coming up on the PowerPoint. Verse 4, Psalm 65 says this, What joy for those you choose to bring near, Those who live in your holy courts. What festivities await us inside your holy temple. You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds. O God our Savior. And we've seen some of those awesome deeds this past year. You are the hope of everyone on earth. Even those who sail on distant seas. Verse 8. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets. You inspire shouts of joy. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture, and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep, and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. That's just wonderful, isn't it? That will feed your soul if you meditate on that. And if you remember, Phil last week said to us that this psalm is all about the superabundance of our Heavenly Father. It's a happy psalm full of gratitude to God. And many commentators think that this psalm is probably linked to the Jewish festival of the weeks, which was a seven-week period in their calendar that marked the beginning of the barley harvest uh, through to the end of the wheat harvest. So it was a time of gathering in all of the crops and coming to the Lord with gratitude for all the abundance of grain that they had received. And in the same way, we want to come before God with gratitude for everything that we have received. The principle from this psalm is that God gives everything and we then just give a little bit back to him. And if you reflect on it, we've got so much to be grateful for, both as individuals but also as a community here. Uh, We've got story after story of God's blessing on us. Just a few for you. Uh, One of our groups supporting those in home education, both inside and outside the church, uh, the lady just sent us an email the week before last and they'd met for the first time here in the King's House building. And she writes this, we had 22 people come for our first meeting and I'd only met two of the parents before. Everyone else came through word of mouth and Facebook advertising. Partway through, a couple of people approached me and said they'd heard a rumor that this was a church. I confirmed that the rumor was true and they asked how much it was costing me. I said it was free because the church wanted to bless home educators in our community. They couldn't believe that A, this was a church or B, that the church cared about them. One family told me this is the first time they'd ever set foot inside a church building. The next day, one of the other families was at another class, and they asked me to confirm if it was really true that this is in fact a church building. There seems to be quite a lot of doubt on this subject. Uh, That evening, I got several emails from her saying how much she'd needed this group. One woman said how lonely she'd felt and how desperately she needed a sense of community. People who've never been to church are coming in, and people who felt isolated are feeling loved and part of the community. All this in our first two days. What a great email. God is reaching whole groups and communities of people through us, but he's also reaching individuals. Like the woman who came on TSM and confided in the team that she had had suicidal thoughts that started when she was 15 and then continued to plague her for the next 20 years. And then, as a 35-year-old, she sends us an email saying this. After doing TSM this year, I found freedom at last, and all my suicidal thoughts have gone. That's the power of God right there. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Also, we heard about a young man who I'll refer to as Omar, and he was brought up in a Muslim home, but renounced it in order to become an atheist. And he lived for years with a deep sense of emptiness. Uh, He came on an Alpha course that Steve mentioned earlier on and particularly was impacted by the evening on prayer where they talked about God being like a heavenly father that you can approach at any time and anywhere and just talk to him as you would a father. And they said you can pray at home and you can pray um, in the office and you can pray in your car if you like. So that very night, uh, as he drove and joined the A421, he felt that perhaps the A421 would be a good place to pray. So he prayed as he drove along the road, and he writes this. I was heading towards Junction 13 to the M1, and I began to pray, and I asked the Lord for help on a couple of things. The road was dark. It appeared as if there were no other cars on the road. But I found myself tingling all the way down my back as I prayed, and I progressively got this feeling stronger and stronger. The relief that I felt was extraordinary. I just started laughing. And then I had the most amazing amount of courage just wash over my body. It was at that point that I realized that I had had my first encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it was good, capital letters. Don't you just love that? So an atheist encounters God on the A421, somewhere between here and the M1, which I estimate to be just outside Brogborough. And I believe that that's got to be a move of God, because if you can encounter God outside a landfill site, that is God right there. So God is on the move amongst us. You know, just like the Israelites in this psalm, we've got so much to be grateful for, haven't we? We could spend the whole morning just telling story after story of what he's done amongst us. And what he's done last year is there to spur us on for what he's got for us this next year. And if you remember, there are three things we said that we particularly feel called to this next year, that God's got for us as we go into 2018. And we frame them around up in and out. The up is all about our upward focus towards God, becoming this joy-filled house of prayer and worship. And if you missed Phil's talk on that last week, please do get the downloads. It was absolutely superb. But today, I want to finish by looking very much at the in and the out aspects, and then also what what response we we might want want to make as a result of hearing all of this. Um, The in part is all about strengthening what we've already got, so that it can support the growth that God is wanting to give to us. A bit like putting up a building. Uh, The bigger the structure, the more important it is that you have really good foundations. You know when they built the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, the world's tallest building, they spent a whole year just digging below ground before you could see anything visible. They put in massive 50 meter pylons underneath the soil in order to support the structure. And in the same way, God's bringing more people to us than ever before, so we want to make sure our foundations are really strong for all that he's calling us to do. So we want to strengthen a number of different areas. A really significant one is that we feel it's time to have someone take some of the weight off of the wonderful Royden Lovely. Um, he's been pretty much a full-time volunteer now for over 10 years um, since he took early retirement. And his role has been very much supporting with finances, covering the legal requirements, and sorting out our insurance. Basically, he's been the one that's made sure that, made sure that Simon and I haven't got sued. That's, that's what's been going on. And we're very grateful to him. We owe him a big debt as a church family but we thought maybe it's time to give him just a little bit of a retirement although he's going to keep serving in the areas that he particularly feels called to but we want to strengthen that whole area another area is on the pastoral side of things and which is the area that I help out with as you heard referenced on the video there we now have over a thousand people coming to the king's arms which you know now means that we're way past the point where I can remember everybody's names I'm sorry about that It doesn't mean that I don't care uh, if it does help at all, I have four children, and some days I struggle to remember their names. So, you know, you're not alone, all right? Um, but we've got a small part-time team, and we want to strengthen that by having someone help us link our wonderful pastoral volunteers to the people that are in need. If you like what the Bible talks about one another in, to help those kind of connections. So we want to invest in that area. And then there are the, just the practical things that we want to be doing that come with owning a building, stuff that we need to get done. So, for example, we need to get an electrical test done to see whether or not we need to upgrade our electricity supply, which is one of those things that's not really very important. Up until the moment, it suddenly becomes very important, if you know what I mean. Um, To be honest, it wouldn't bother me if the electricity went out and say we had to sit here in the cold and the dark. Personally, that wouldn't bother me because I'd just bring a coat. But then it dawned on me that if the electricity trips out, Well, then all of a sudden, the coffee percolators won't work anymore, at which point I consider that to be a crisis. So I'm now going to redirect all of my giving into maintaining the coffee percolators. So, you know, join me on that mission, if you will. So there's a bunch of stuff that we need to do that's practical, but even the stuff we're investing inside is in order that we can do the outside mission. We can do the things that God is calling us to do, which brings us to the out part of the vision. And a little while back, um, we received this prophetic word from a guy called Simon Mortimer, who used to be part of the King's Arms and now lives in the States. And uh, he wrote to us this word about the tsunami of love. And this is a specific text. It says this, King's Arms are about to move into a season of a tsunami of his love. This tsunami will come violently and into every part of the community, the darkest, deepest, hidden places. It will reach not just the outcasts, but the criminal underworld, the occult, New Age, gangs, you name it, there is no one who can outrun or run from the love of God. Just picture the effects of a tsunami on a town, on a city, and get ready. Now, obviously, we do tend to associate tsunamis with a destructive force, but this is talking about a tsunami of his love, which carries with it justice, peace, healing, and compassion for all. It's a restorative thing, not a destructive thing turning back things to the way that God always intended them to be. Just like Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. That's the kind of tsunami we're talking about. Let me ask you, what would a tsunami of his love look like in your life or in the life of your family or the people on your street or in your community or in this region and beyond? If you consider it, the thing about tsunamis is that they are indiscriminate. You know, they sweep through everywhere and affect everyone, regardless of age or stage of life, irrespective of wealth or social status. They catch everybody up in their wake. They move immovable objects and shift them to a different place. They're powerful. They're capable of changing things. Imagine what a tsunami of his love would do what a force for good that would be, particularly for those on the fringes or those marginalized in society. I love the way the message paraphrases Psalm 145. It says this, God always does what he says and is gracious in everything he does. God gives a hand to those down on their luck, gives a fresh start to those ready to quit. His love reaches out to those down on their luck. I just love that phrase. But the point is this word has to have some practical outworkings. Otherwise, it's just kind of poetic imagery. I think it's no coincidence that we get a word about a tsunami of God's love, and then for the first time in over 25 years of renting the property, we've got the chance of buying the building that currently houses the night shelter. People, that is a big deal. It's a big deal not just for us, but a big deal for the people in this town. After all these years, we're in a position to provide some security to people that we haven't been able to do in the same way before. In the past, we've somewhat been subject to changes in funding decisions or the potential for the landlord to want to sell that property. Now we're in a place where we're looking to buy buy it. And as a result, we can offer a stable place offering security and acceptance for anyone who needs it. That is a significant thing, folks. Because a tsunami of God's love must have social justice as part of it. I want us to be a church that loves the poor, not just a church that has a project which loves the poor. We cannot outsource care for the poor to a bunch of dedicated heroes on the project. It has to be something that lives in your heart and my heart. And that's why, as a church, we're planning to give £20,000 into buying that night shelter. If I'm honest, I'm secretly praying for a whole lot more. But do be praying for my Brit and Steve as they put together a whole funding strategy for that. This is a significant development for us as a church. Not only that, though, uh, we want to buy a minibus for both the church and the project to use uh, so that people that don't have access to transport can get not just a church, but that we can drive them to activities in the week and skills training and all that sort of thing. Uh, the truth is we do have a minibus at the moment, but it's being held together by gaffer tape and prayer. Um, <laughs> Neil Taylor has to pretty much raise the dead every time it comes through for an MOT, and we're very grateful to him for all that he's done. Um, and it's, it's not good, it's basically a skip with wheels, it has moss growing in it. Um, the seats are so uncomfortable that if you travel more than five miles in it, you need corrective surgery. That's really what it's like. The good news is though, you're unlikely to get five miles in it, so you'll be okay. I, people, I think we can do better than our current minibus is what I'm saying, all right? And lastly, as we into all these different areas, we want to release um, some of our discipleship materials in a properly packaged form um, so that we can do what the Bible says about making disciples who then in turn go and make disciples. Just on this one, we've seen what impact focusing on our culture and putting materials together around that can have. I realized that our culture of honor was going deep the day my teenage son told me about his friendship group's uh, way of eliminating dishonouring comments amongst them. Uh, They wanted to do away with the kind of joking and ridicule that could be really cutting and hurtful to people. Uh, It's the kind of things where they would make jokes at people's expense. So in order to avoid this, they developed what they called the banter scale, Um, which defines the level of joking and banter within their group that's acceptable. What's acceptable and what's not? I'm getting some smiles from the teenagers. Um, Some of you know about this. And somewhat predictably, because it's teenage boys, their banter scale focuses around food. Um, You could have predicted that. So a light-hearted joke, to give you an example, is seen as a green leaf salad. It's nutritious and wholesome, and that's fine, and to be encouraged. If, however, you make a critical remark that's not helpful, that's known as a Donna Kebab remark. (laughs) That's not gonna do somebody any good. And the scale continues all the way down to the downright offensive comment, which is considered a deep fried Mars bar remark, which is really unhealthy and will damage somebody's heart. So I just love that, I think it's brilliant. And now I know that's all a bit bizarre, but what I love about that is that the teenagers have taken the culture of honor and they've applied it to their friendship group, albeit in their own random way, but they've, they've acted on it themselves. The culture of honor has become a self-regulating principle within the youth group, and I applaud you for that. The, the thing is, the discipleship language has the same ability. It, it can become something that has got a momentum all of its own, something that shapes who we are and the way we operate, something that gets us to understand how God wants to deal with us. That's why we want to invest in it. So folks, that's just some of the things that we're wanting to do. We want to be a community which prioritizes prayer and worship in the up, which invests in the in, so we've got strong foundations, and partners with God in this tsunami of love to reach our society. But before we close, I just want to give us two ways in which we can respond having heard something of the vision together. Simon and Steve have really helpfully put the booklet together on page nine. It gives you a whole number of ways that you might want to respond. But I just wanted to focus on a couple because they're right here in this psalm that we've referenced. The first is this, is that the Israelites harvested the barley and the wheat from the fields. And then what they would do is they would make loaves out of barley and of the wheat and then use them in an offering back to God in the temple. So the principle is they would receive from God and then give some of what they had back to God. In the same way, everything that you and I have comes from God. Isaiah says, that even the breath that we breathe comes from God himself. So anything that you've got comes from God. And we want to offer back to God a little bit of what he's given to us. And just felt like I should share a little bit personally in my journey of this. And there is the risk of being understood, but... I trust you, you know my heart in this. Um, so I wanna share about Emma and I and our journey with, with giving in this. Um, just so you know, Emma and I have now been married 20 years, like Phil and Carol this past year, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary, I know, I know. So, it's great. Um, and uh, in order to mark the occasion, I planned a surprise trip away for Emma and I. Um, so sh- she got on the train with me, and she thought she was going to down to London with me. But when we got on the train, I handed her her anniversary card, and inside the card were two plane tickets uh, for to Copenhagen. So I took her away uh, to Ho- Copenhagen, uh, somewhere that she'd always wanted to go. So I think I did pretty well there, as, as, you, as you'd expect, I'm a smooth operator when it comes to that kind of thing. You're not surprised, are you? However, in a slight miscalculation, I booked the trip two days before her family were due to arrive for the Christmas period, and Emma had a whole ton of stuff to do. Uh, To be honest, I hadn't really thought it through. Which meant that for most of the time in in Denmark, Emma was delighted and happy with me for organising the trip. Simultaneously angry with me about when I would booked it. So that that didn't go entirely according to plan. So the point is that after 20 years, there's still many things I have yet to learn. Uh, Many decisions I regret. But one thing that I don't regret from these 20 years that we've been able to be consistent with is the choices we made around giving. Uh, Right from our first month's paycheck as a married couple, we decided that we would give our first 10% of our salaries to God by giving into the local church. Uh, We figured that if in the Old Testament God's people could do that before they knew about God's generosity in Jesus, then now we could certainly do the same as a starting point. To be honest with you, initially it, it was very hard. Um, We'd literally just got married. We barely had a stick of furniture. Uh, We had hardly any money. And I remember the first month or two very clearly because we'd worked out the budget, and it didn't really add up. Uh, There were a number of things, initial expenses we needed to to pay. So what we did is we, we said, well there's never going to be a convenient time to start giving our first 10%. So we want to start now in married life and took a bit of a step of faith. So we gave the 10% and then later on and realized that the rest of the budget didn't add up. However, we'd received a whole load of gifts from Marks and Spencers. So what we did did is we took them back to Marks and Spencers and exchanged them for Marks and Spencers food. Sorry if you bought us a wedding present and we then cashed it in. (laughs) But the good news was we were able to eat Marks and Spencers food for the rest of the month, which wasn't so bad. I'm aware that on the outside that can sound like a crazy thing to do, but sometimes God asks us to make radical decisions. And the thing is this, God promises that if I honor him with my first 10%, then as it says in Malachi, these are the words, that God will open the windows of heaven to bless me. And I want the windows of heaven to be opened to bless me. Twenty years later, I stand here literally amazed at the way God has provided what he has done. I quit my secular job a few years later to work for the church and then my salary dropped 30% in that moment and God still provided. Even when Emma stopped her job as we had a family, we lost her chief executive salary. We still never went without. Now on one level we lead a pretty simple lifestyle. It's home haircuts and cheap supermarkets. Although as you do know, I tell people that I always wear designer clothes. It's just that they've been designed by George at ASDA, um, but it all counts. Uh, but what, the thing that we do love above all else is traveling. We love exploring and seeing new places, and my heavenly Father knows that. So looking back, we've been able, with all of our children, to travel to Australia, America, Canada. We spent a month traveling around Europe, and in a few weeks' time, we're going to Africa for the very first time. We have four kids, and I'm on a very ordinary salary. I'm paid like a teacher's paid. And yet, our super-abundant God has blessed us outrageously with the ability to travel. I'm not saying that you have to copy Emma and I. But what I am saying is that there's a financial adventure in God to be had. We want to see amazing miracles of healing. But we also want to see amazing provision in our finances, don't we? We want to be those that can release money into God's kingdom and all that he's doing. And know that as we do that... God will open the windows of heaven to bless us. Maybe this morning God is inviting you to participate in that journey. Apparently, 35% of us give 95% of the church's income which means there's an opportunity for those of us at the moment who don't regularly give to get on board with this. I'm not going to know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. That's all kept secret. What I am saying to you is, why don't you come and join us on this adventure so that in a number of years' time, you can see how God has miraculously provided for you. What is the step of obedience for you? So that's the first thing. It's got to impact our wallets and our giving. But the second response is simply that of gratitude to finish where we started I love verse 13 where it says, From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. When I look back at all that God's done for me, it inspires shouts of joy from me. All the secular studies show that gratitude reduces heart disease, helps you make friends, gives you 25% better sleep, and even extends your lifespan. It's almost as if we were designed to live grateful lives, isn't it? If you'd say you're a Christian here this morning, I want to leave you with this thought. Where would your life be at if God hadn't intervened? What was the trajectory of your life before you encountered God? Because looking at that might help bring up a rise of gratitude in your heart for all that he's done. He's done incredible things both individually and amongst us as a church family. We want this next year to be full of thankfulness as we trust him for all that he's going to do. We want to be a joyful house of prayer. We want to be strengthened for growth. And we want to see this tsunami of love reaching every corner of society. Why don't we pray together? Do you want to stand with me? And we're just going to engage with, the, with God together. Perhaps the band want to make their way back. And I think in a moment, it'd just be appropriate to finish by praising him, by thanking him for all this done. But why don't you just close your eyes? Often that can help us just focus in on God together. Holy Spirit, would you just come and rest on each one of us? Just consider for a moment, where would your life be at if he hadn't encountered you? Maybe this morning you feel like you don't actually know him. Well, I just want to suggest to you that maybe your life isn't complete unless you've not just got things to be grateful for, but someone to be grateful to. And the Lord is introducing himself to you so that you'd know who to thank for all the blessings that you have received. So, Father, we thank you for everything that you've done. We want our hearts to be filled with gratitude. We want to be on the gr- grateful end of the spectrum, not the grumpy end. We want to always start with praise. And Father, we pray too that you'd stir each one of us. I pray, Father, for those of us around the room who are stirred to the next step of obedience. For some of you, there's just a, a, a racing heart when we, we talk about different things because you know that God is stirring you to take a step of radical obedience. I want to say to you, he is faithful. He's been faithful to me my whole adult life and he will be faithful to you too. So Father, we just want to say yes to you. Even though it might seem crazy or radical, we want to keep saying yes to you and see all that you will do amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name.